Go ahead, Ray. You! You worthless piece of slime! You ignorant, disgusting clown! Nothing but an unstable short chain molecule! It's the stuff. It's like pure concentrated evil. It's all flowing right to this spot. Material devolution has begun. Welcome back, ladies and gents. It's another week of the Material Devolution podcast. We are in back-to-back weeks after a four-year absence. I mean, that's a hot streak. Matt Walter, how you doing? Right? It's like we're binging. <laughs> it's like we were... We, nothing, we, we ain't got nothing but time. We ain't got nothing but time. So let's just pack it in. Let's get as many in as we can uh, while we're locked down with this fascism in the United States that's taking place right now. I'm I'm being facetious actually by saying that um, because I don't actually look at it that way. Uh, but we're going to discuss that in this week's topic, right, Dev? Like we're going to discuss Elon Musk and his tweet. Yeah. Elon's kind of the inspiration for this week's topic, which is freedom. You know, uh, Elon gave some tweets out that were of interest. One specifically was now give people back their freedom freedom in all caps that's how you know they really really mean it is the all caps they might not have been as emphatic and we wouldn't know which part they really are emphasizing if it wasn't for the all caps classic trump tweet technique elon's got the groove for it too so that kind of set off a thing and he even gave an interview where they asked him about it uh you know what his thoughts were about the situation in the stay-at-home orders and his direct quote was you know uh i think that people are gonna be very angry about this and very angry if somebody should be if somebody wants to stay in the house that's great they should be allowed to stay in their house and they should not be compelled to leave but to say that they cannot leave their house and they will be arrested if they do this is this is fascist this is not democratic this is not freedom people give people back their goddamn freedom so that was elon musk uh you know in reference to the stay-at-home situation and just to kind of kick things off and give you the floor i wanted to talk about you know the definition of freedom and kind of what it means to have freedom and what kind of freedom we expect. I mean, freedom by definition is the power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. Now, uh, in terms of freedom of thought, I, I think we kind of do have that, at least to certain degrees, though when thoughts are perceived as actions, maybe not necessarily. It's really a question of, you know, at what point does our power to act infringe on somebody else's rights? You know, it's like uh, not getting vaccinated say, you know, you're like, oh, I have a right to my own body, protect my own body. But if you don't get that vaccine, you could theoretically kill thousands of people. Mm-hmm. So at what point does, you know, everybody's right to not die of horrible viruses supersede your right to not get a vaccine? So I'll, I'll kick it over to you. What, what are your thoughts about this situation and Elon's position on, you know, the uh, stay at home order and, you know, what, what our freedoms are? Oh, wow. That's a lot to unpack, isn't it? Um Boom, carpet bomb. Right? Just take throw it, it down. It exactly. Bring it. Um, you know, we as a society give up certain things, I guess you would say freedoms, for the greater safety and greater good of society every day. We don't get on the freeway and drive 150 miles an hour. There's laws against that. Freedom to do it. And you could leave your house, right? I mean, are, are there states right now where they're literally arresting people as they walk out of their house? Is that Has it come to that? No, I mean, I know, know Michigan you know is pretty draconian. I, I've heard. I don't know the details of what their uh, stay-at-home orders look like or how they're enforcing it. I know there's some 
you know, things that I've heard where sheriffs of certain counties uh, have come into businesses, uh, you know, armed and, and shut them down because they're non-essential. It's an interesting thing to propose it as fascism, though. You know what I mean? Because that's like being like, you know, the government's instituting positions to prevent people from dying. It's almost like regulating an industry where, hey, you want to put seatbelts in cars? That's fascism. People should be able to die horribly in car wrecks if they choose to, or not wearing helmets on motorcycles. Fascism. You're, you're making me protect my own life unnecessarily, but they don't understand all the implications that, you know, the insurance liabilities, the, ra- the raised medical risks, the, you know, how this is going to cause a domino effect of other things. So, you know, it, it's a very interesting question to think about at this time. So... Uh, I, I wouldn't call it fascism is what I'm saying. I wouldn't call it fascism either. Um, you know, fascism in regards to uh, economy is more like a dictate, a nationalistic dictatorship that like controls the structure of the economy um, as a wait, whole. Wait, wait a second. Shit, you might be onto something. <laughs> you know, but if it's fascism, it's not. It, the, what I'm saying is, is that what's happening right now isn't isn't that uh, isn't fascism in that sense. Um, look, again, we, we, we have economic we, we have economic fascism, not governmental fascism. Exactly, but it's not it's not what we're talking about here. Is what I'm getting yeah. at, right? So after you describe that, you're like, oh, wait a minute. Um, but well, I mean, we might be talking about, we might be talking about it eventually because it does in, implicate freedom. You know what I mean? Like, are you really free? Like, you should be free to go to work. I mean, well, you're free to go back to like a wage slave job where you know you're living on your next paycheck and you might infect your grandma with COVID. That's your freedom. Mm-hmm. Congratulations, you're free. Why don't you? Why? Why aren't? Why aren't you cheering? Why? Why aren't you standing up? I mean, we've got a situation where. Well, if you were absolutely people, free, staying at home for a little while wouldn't wouldn't be a problem. You wouldn't be a slave to whatever paycheck that you uh, need to get back to. But what I was going to say about that is, you know, coming from uh, our place that where we sit right now in this pandemic, you know, both of us have jobs. Um, the people closest to us also have jobs and I'm not in a position, uh, to understand, um, wholly where the small business owner is, um, coming from right now, who is completely shut down by the government. And they look like, and they look at it like some tyrannical act, you know, imposed on them by their leadership of their state. But like you said, when does the greater good outweigh the individual 100% freedom? Nobody. And again, nobody's saying that you can't go out and I guess just meander around because everything's closed, but you just can't run your business. And, and the governors and the States are really in control of your business license. That's just a fact. And that's just always been the case. But in the greater perspective, too, I mean, like, let's say ultimately this is going to happen. It's going to happen very soon. Uh, you know, the powers that be are going to turn the screws and, you know, the kickbacks are happening. The governors are going to open uh, and say the stay-at-home orders are removed, at which point if you don't return to work, you can't get unemployment, in which case if you don't return to work, you will be at a risk of being unsheltered and starving. So this is going to basically force everything back live again this is probably going to be you know i wouldn't be surprised by the end of may we're back kind of up and running the question is 
how are businesses that are open going to actually operate in a way where they're functional? You know, like a lot of businesses operate on very thin margins. Even the slightest loss in customers or loss in you know the amount of customers are spending right. is going to affect them dramatically. Yeah. Everyone's going to be spending less money. Everything's so factored in. They're decimated. Uh, Who's going to movie theaters? Absolutely. Who's going to be going? Sport, sporting events are basically right. done for the year. So think about so Nobody's think about concerts. So Nobody's think about it in large symphonies or, or musical events. Right. So thinking about it in terms of accounting terms, right? So you think about the fixed costs haven't changed, right? The variable costs can change. You can hire different employees that are directly affect you know the service or, or, or goods that you produce, and and you can and you can control that. But your rent and your utilities and all the things that that you've that 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 are there in your business, they've been factored in to giving a certain amount of, of volume, you know, of, of customer volume as far as to make your break even by per day, per month, whatever that is. And now if you have to limit that, if you have to limit the intake of people to that can actually partake in your good or service because of density and you have to spread them out six feet and social distancing and this, that, and the other, that's going to limit the amount of revenue that you can bring in, in, in a day, whether it's a 16 hour day or an eight hour day or a 12 hour day, um, retail hours or, or, or otherwise, or banking hours. And, um, so what does that look like for the workforce as well after this, you know what I'm saying? So that, you know, that's also one of the things that I think we really need to think about when we talk about this new normal, um, and, and what's going on here, just because you want to open and you want everything open and back to normal. Again, we talked about this last week. There is no back to normal. Things are going to be different and businesses are going to have to adapt to the different, um, you know, the way that, you know, the customers, um, the way the customers act. Right. So, I mean, like you might be free to open, but the customers are also free to say, you know, we don't want to spend our money. We don't feel comfortable here. So, you know, it puts you in a very dangerous preposition where, you know, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't, you know, you, you don't open, you're, you're losing money. You open, you're losing even more money actually. Uh, right. So, well, so like the, the PPP program, that, that money's starting to flow. It's starting to get out of the hands of, the, of even the bigger, biggest banks into the people that need it. And so at least right now, if they're operating, you know, they are operating with a cushion that's going to be forgiven as far as their expenditures are concerned um, w- w- in terms of um, payroll uh, and, uh, and, and rent um, or interest on, on mortgage payments. Um, so that thing does give them a good runway to, to go with and to work with. But again, what if the customers just aren't, aren't willing to come out and risk their own lives to, to procure those goods or, 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 or get those services rendered? I, I, what do you do? It's like heart in a horse situation, right? What happens at the end of this, you know, with these, with these loans and, and, and you hire people back and you get incentivized to hire people back and it's going to be forgiven and all these things. But what happens if, if the revenue after this is, uh, is over and that money goes away, uh, drops, um, or, or if it never comes back to where it was to sustain that workforce that you just hired back, that was going to be forgiven. And then come July, you're going to have to lay them off anyway or August. Right. 
I mean, we're getting a little bit off base as far as what we were talking about with, with fascism and, and, and those type of things. But I think we're kind of getting into the more, you know, nuanced detail of the, what this closing and what this opening actually means. It sounds really good on the surface, right? Hey, we need to open back up. We need to open up America, you know, and let's get the business and the economy going. I'm all for that. You know, I work in business. I'm, I work with small businesses. I see what they're struggling and what they're going through. And we do. I mean, they need to, for their own sake and their own livelihoods and their own families and their own food on their table and their own bills, they need to get things going. And, and we need to, you know, we really need to, to think about that. But at what cost and what risk to the society? We already have, what, 65,000 dead, over 1.2 million infected. And we think that that's probably what, one in ten of and one tenth of actual numbers, and the they're opening up states right as there was just the highest like daily death toll, which also doesn't yeah. make sense. Listen, if we were going to slow down, if we were going to pause this thing in March when there was just such a limited number of infections that we knew of, why is it any better six weeks later when we're at one point one one point two million? And sixty five thousand. That's how many we know cases, known cases yeah. that are out there. It just doesn't. I, I don't get it. It doesn't compute. My, my my brother made a good point to me too, which is, uh, you know, eventually, sixty to seventy percent of the entire population is going to get uh, infected with this. Is what the experts are saying. Over the course of about one and a half to two years, you know, the, the vast majority of the entire planet is going to get it, and that's ultimately what's going to happen. That'll happen before there's a vaccine available, most likely. So, so, so we're going to, we're going to get very, we're going to get very close to herd immunity prior to the vaccine even being released is what you're saying. Cause I didn't, they say that, herd immunity is 75, 80%, something like something that. Something like that. Yeah. So you're like saying 70%. that we're going to get to 65, 70 before that even happens. But again, they don't know what the immunity is going to be like. Is it, is it temporary immunity? Uh, for how long are you immune? I mean, most coronaviruses, we're not, we're not immune to them after we get a single vaccine. That's why there's a, a flu vaccine every year, right? Every season, uh, that you get it because of the, the mutations and other things. Um, which I'm going to start getting now more often. I actually haven't had one in a while. Um, and I luckily so haven't vaccines. I think that that's the right back time to bring it back to that question of the personal freedoms involved. Because the example I used in the intro was, you know, we have the right to our own bodies, but at what point does that right then violate everybody else's rights? Like if you live by yourself in the woods and never interacted with anybody, then I'd say, sure. You know, like as long as you lived off grid, you know, like in Alaska, then yeah, you don't need to get vaccinated. But if you live in society, you know, you could definitely cause outbreaks that could be potentially deadly by not getting that vaccine. Mm -hmm. So that's a real dilemma. And you have these similar cases too, where it's like, okay, the right to bear arms. We've determined that that's a freedom we should have, the right to self-defense, right? A gun. But now it's a question of at what point is that gun, you know, not self-defense? We've said, some people say a machine gun, a tank's self-defense. Not a nuclear weapon, but like the question is, what's that line? So uh, what are your thoughts on those, on vaccines or on weapons? And what's the line on, you know, where like me protecting myself becomes a danger to everybody else? How do you find that line? Oh, man, that is so tough again. Um, the vaccine. Answers now, Matt. Answer right now. now. Clear. Right concise. Now. Right now. Um, the vaccine situation you know, because there's a lot of vaccine truthers. They're like, you know, the government's giving us AIDS or fucking putting, you know, microchips in us and 
it's all a conspiracy when you, there's a long history of the science of vaccines and why it's you know pretty practical you know to prevent cataclysmic outbreaks so eliminated polio and things like that but well, on me for reading a history book once again. Yeah, exactly. Um, from what I see, as far as vaccines are concerned, it seems to me that the risk is minimal compared to the outcome of getting a vaccine. I don't. It doesn't seem to me. I, I just and again, I haven't. I haven't dug in. I don't know you know, what the conspiracy theorists, you know, kind of the data that they, that they show. I know that there's a lot of anecdotal, it's um, all bullshit, you know, but the evidence out there, they trying to tie it to autism and some other things because there's, I know that there's a low level of mercury and, um, some other, um, pretty, pretty nasty stuff in vaccines, but, you know, but I, I, but but you think about that, man, you think about that. I mean, how much like environmental just contamination do we get? I mean, every, they say everybody has pieces, particles of, uh, Teflon in their system, um, because Teflon was used you know, as a, a, a anti, um, skid anti thing, um, you know, as far as, uh, you know, for pots and pans. And so everybody ingested it. Right. So what I'm saying is, is that we get contaminated with these low levels of things all the time. I don't think any of it's actually great. I mean, it'd be awesome if we lived in a sterile world and we didn't, you know, have BPAs from, you know, water bottles that we were drinking and sitting in our car 10 years ago, uh, or anything like that. But, um, again, I think that there are certain things that because we live in a community, there's certain things that we have to do for the good of the community. And as lo- and I think that as long as it's proven to be as safe as it can be, is everything 100% foolproof? 100%? Absolutely not. It's, it's life. It's funny you put, it's funny you put that because it's like that should be the core basis of it. And then to tie it back even further, it's like we should do things that are logically straightforward, good for society. And a time of crisis should be even more straightforward. And yet you see images of chalk outlines in Las Vegas of homeless people sleeping in the streets while 100,000 hotel rooms sit empty. Yep. You see pictures of farmers dumping millions of pounds of vegetables and potatoes and things like that because there's no market uh-huh. for them. While people, are, while people are lining up to get food in food so, banks and other places like Qualcomm so right talking, here, I drove past it and there was yep. just lines and lines and lines of cars five lines wide. It looked like coming across the San Ysidro border crossing in Mexico. <laughs> that's what it so looks like to get food. I mean, it's, I, that's how I, unbelievable. If people have ever seen that border crossing from Mexico into the United States, it's, it's a, it's Carmageddon. It is everything that you would think that Carmageddon what would look like. And that's what it looked like. Uh, when I drove past Qualcomm, um, I mean, obviously more controlled, we do a good job of, of, yeah. of, of corralling people, but, um, but yeah, anyway, continue. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to hash this out. I think like talking to you about this, I've like hit like a momentary epiphany here. And like sometimes like this might be pure brain chatter, but maybe it'll make sense to you. I'm going to spear all that out here. But I think what I'm realizing is as I talk to you about it is that like this question of like freedom and where the border becomes between my control of myself versus my, you know, willing to worry about others, that has a lot to do with trust in the government ultimately. You know, like countries where there's high trust in the government, there aren't these types of conspiracy theories about vaccines. There isn't this type of pushback that it's fascist 
when you know the government says you need to stay in your house to take these measures to protect people there isn't that response so it would seem that if people had more trust in the government and faith in the government they wouldn't need these freedoms as much yes. necessarily it's almost like you, you need you feel you need it because you don't trust in it so it's like i need a machine gun because i don't trust that the government's going to stop me from getting raped and murdered or you know thugs coming by my house or there's anything like that like literally and that might be a completely logical belief depending on the neighborhood you live in and the type of policing or you know area you live in or just things you've gone through might have led you to believe that yet in other countries like in britain or places like that the cops don't even have guns right they have knives because the populace has been conditioned to the mindset of you know this is not expected to me this is not like a position i believe the government will protect me to that degree their argument would be like america was built on the suspicion of government and that is at our core that is our founding our founding fathers in the documents and and what they're what they're written the way that they're written you know is about is about you know overthrowing of of tyrannical government Right. Of, I mean, isn't uh, that the isn't that the beauty of America though? It's that perfect uh, circular hypocrisy where it's <laughs> built on what it is. Uh-huh. It's built on like you know to be a de- democ- democratic rebellion to overthrow you know like fascist domination and stuff like that, and it ends up basically being a fascist domination run undemocratically by the powerful, like the people who wrote it for. Obviously, we know the slave owning white men who owned land like this is how it was done i mean jefferson was one of the worst people ever and somehow that guy's president at that time because he was in a position of power and very intelligent and because of that all his horrible moral flaws were overlooked at that time so you know if we go back through history looking at things like that it's interesting to see how we got here and why we got here so yeah but you also have to put people in their contemporary context you can't look back with a microscope and say oh well whatever but like this this stuff's built like all the last hundred years i mean especially nowadays and i think the internet's a big part of it too i was talking with that with my brother which is just like there's almost this just like frictionless conspiracy theory everybody will go area 51 well it, that's where the aliens are it's a conspiracy hey let's all rate it and everyone will like it on instagram or facebook or post about oh my it. gosh and then, right you know, Jeez and then a couple Louise. thousand weirdos will show up in the desert and, and have an alien rave you're like hey and that's all it is to it yeah. you know this is 5g 5g is happening it's not corona okay like, what are we gonna do about it let's show up at the michigan courthouse backed by the Koch brothers with guns and yell in the face of cops or like let's go to a playground that's closed what are the guns gonna do it's it's all this frictionless fake reaction to conspiracies where it's like i mean what was the revolutionary war except like you know america's rich and powerful response to being like we're not going to put up with this shit let's organize our own pushback against it and actually doing something about it which was pretty anarchic of the time you know causing mass private property destruction and you know, all that shit. Well, people still feel very, um, very removed from this. I think very insulated. I don't think that there's a lot of folks that know someone who died yet. Maybe they don't even know somebody who has it yet. in some of these other places, I think everybody knows somebody who works in healthcare. And if you don't, then like you got to know somebody who knows somebody who works in healthcare. But don't you think if that was the case and then, and some, you don't know what it's like. You don't know what it's like. They're like everybody who works in healthcare is like, I've if they work in an ICU or emergency ward, they're like, I've 
seen more bodies in the last month than I've seen in my entire career. You know, I've had to see so many people die. It's just like crazy. All right. Well, let's talk about that. So you have 60, so you you have 65,000 plus deaths. Um, now they say it's more than Vietnam during Vietnam. We had people out and, uh, protesting in the streets to stop the war and a senseless killing. And that's just American deaths. Now, you know, you could argue that, you know, maybe the death count is higher because there's a lot of people that are dying of COVID-19, um, you know, uh, outside of the hospital system. That's not, that hasn't been tested yet, or, or maybe they won't be tested. Who knows? Maybe it'll go uncounted, but you know, there was more of an uproar about what was going on in Vietnam than there is what's going on now. And you have the same amount of deaths in a shorter period of time, a much, much shorter period of time. You know, you had seven years of Vietnam and you have like six weeks of this. And, uh, yet people want to get back to normal and think that this is not a threat. So why do you think that is? I mean, the anti-war movement for Vietnam historically took a lot of time. It wasn't until the draft was instituted exactly. and the casualties kept increasing That's what and I was getting scandals to. started breaking out over time. And guess what? That still didn't affect anything. Even after Nixon got basically, you know, fell on his sword before impeachment, they kept the war going. You know, they left and pretended they won. Like, uh, it's just like a... Well, that's what I was going to say. I was going to say that the reason the reason why it's different is because of the draft, right? So you have everybody who is an able-bodied, fighting age young man, not in, you in get college, a one, a one, is a gets one, a one in ten gets a card, right? So it's a physical thing. Like here, like you get called, and the chances yeah. are that you're going to go and you're going to fight and you're going to die. Um, this isn't. This is a this is a, a invisible, uh, silent threat um, taking out. You know. By by disproportionate amount of our, our, our most vulnerable and our and our sickest uh, folks. Thank God, not our youngest, which is just incredible. If it was well, killing it, young people, it I think it would it be. It wasn't a guaranteed death wish to go to Vietnam. I mean, we had sixty thousand something deaths, and it was horrible, and hundreds of thousands of maimed. I think we had over uh, a million troops, like well over a million troops, something like two million troops or something like that. Go so like you had like a one in fifty chance of dying. And maybe like a one in twenty chance of getting. Yeah, made. but that, it, so if the you're Vietnam, saying if you're using that, if you're Vietnam using those numbers, that's exactly what we're looking at right now as far as the infection rate and the mortality rate for this this virus, as far as what the numbers are, the official numbers say, right? Oh, interesting. I was just going to juxtapose that with the fact that like that was our losses. The Vietnamese suffered two million losses. Oh, absolutely. Two million. Well, uh, with, I mean, that's the whole thing with a population with a population one twentieth our size. And a military budget one one thousand one one thousand non existent. Well, we don't living in like fucking like listen in the hills. We're we're not hearing about what what this virus is doing uh, in Yemen right now. Uh, Well, ironically enough, Vietnam is the best country that's dealing with the virus right now because guess what? I I was talking to my brother about this too. It's funnier. I mean, communism a lot of bad sides to it. We could get into those for sure. But one good thing about it is though. It's a response to a crisis when you've got, I mean, we see this in two more socialistic type states like in, you know, Norway, Finland, Sweden, places like that. 
when you have a very cohesive response to things, you can be very organized. And in a time of crisis, pandemic, natural disaster, that's really what you need if you want to be effective. Well, it's so you, like a test rate of like 700 people per thousand people in Vietnam. And, We've got like five or six per thousand. Right, right. That's and they say really we need five million out. tests a day in order for us to effectively uh, get a handle on the true numbers. How five do you million stop it? You find out who has it and you isolate those people. That's well, just how you do so it. If you you're not testing, you don't know who has it. So you touched on something when you said about an or, uh, uh, an organized central governing body that and, and it ties into what you were saying about how about trust about the people trusting in the government and when when people trust people that take decisive action towards something and with a very clear message that's being communicated to the masses. And I'm not saying that we should blindly trust our government at all, at all instances, at all turns, but during a pandemic like this, you would hope that the response would be altruistic enough and genuine enough that it was, it was nonpartisan. It was clearly in the benefit of the, of the, of the masses. Uh, But, what you were saying is, is that that's why they could do that. And that's why places like Germany, right. That they've been so good at, uh, at keeping the death rate down, minimizing the spread because they took decisive action. It was clear, it was concise and they, and they had a centralized focus, right? So by putting our States on the market to bid for supplies, bid against each other for supplies and, 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 and basically be, on to left to fend for themselves without a strong federal government. Those are the times when the federal government does need to step up. I believe in federalism. I believe that that, that states and, and localized governing governance is best and you do what's better for your people because we are very, very different culturally um, from city to city and geographic region and geographic region. So our needs are different. But that being said, when it comes to a uniform approach, uh, applied pro approach. That's something that needs to be coordinated and, and balanced and, 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 and are the biggest buying power that you, the most leverage that you can do when it's called, it comes to buying power, uh, and volume and all of those other things. Um, that's up to the federal government. That's when you want them to step up. Yes. Take a back seat to other things, but step up when it's time to step up When take care of your population, take care of people. That's your job. Right, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. What does it say first? Right, the first thing that your that that, that your inalienable rights is they, they to be light is life. That. They only meant that for certain people. Now. Absolutely, but let's just take it like for for what it is. Right, life well, is first. Be? Right. Well, so what you were asking well, about shutting things down, right, for the greater good, and and whether or not it's fascist or not, when it literally says life, liberty, right. So life, we. Infringing upon somebody's ability to go out and infect somebody else is has to be curtailed for the health and well-being of the entire country. Because if not, we won't have a country, right? I mean, that's the point. Full stop. Period. <laughs> I mean, if we had faith and trust in the government, what legitimately? I'm not saying we should or, or could have, because I mean the government's made up of some of the most corrupt. No, they do some nefarious stuff, man. We all agree, right? I mean, not just this administration, every administration. Exactly. Like, you would be trusting the government, where everyone's like, "Guess what? For one month, we're not leaving our houses. 
the government's going to come by and deliver food. It's going to be whatever the fuck it is. It's going to be rice. It's going to be beans. You're going to get a different box every week. Guess what? You're not going to eat what you want to eat this week. It's just going to be a box of food depending on how many people are there. Substance. You're going to might have to eat bad food you don't enjoy because you just don't have yeah. it. Rich people too. You get you're your MREs. You go to you go to down to the end of the block. We're There's a pallet of MREs down there. Get your shit. But hey, for one month, everyone would do that and follow that guideline, and you could instantly stop it. But then you'd have to have trust and dependence and a structure in place for that to take place. And we're so big and we're so spread out and we have so little trust in the government itself and the systems the government operated. What would we rather do? It's the we say we, we we say we need to get rich and build a bunker in our backyard. Well, everybody, you know, for for the end of the world. Everybody like questions that. the motive. Everybody questions the motive of the style of the application, right? Of what's happening right now. So I've heard in I've heard in discussions with people that. You know, I hear uh, that Gavin Newsom's response and the way that he's responding to this is a political uh, posturing, um, you know, and a solely political uh, response that's tainted. It's tainted by by politics. And 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 that's why he's responding the way that he is with the beach closers and some of the other things, Um, you know, Huntington Beach uh, being being one of the only beaches, I guess, that was. I don't know how you can accuse a politician, you know operating politically like it's impossible to not filter every action through a political lens they're, they're a politician the art of politics is the art of wielding power you're going to wield it in a way i guess they were saying that during this that, that because of the current you know crisis that you know the, they should abstain from from those things but they're gonna they're gonna imply they're gonna apply policy from their bent right that's the point hey that's Get, they have a philosophy, get, and so they're going to follow get, those, get those like, that philosophy like and that ideology. Don't let your like bias in, yeah. in, in your decision making. What's the point in wielding power? That's right. the whole concept of exactly. politics. That's why that's why Democrats lose at everything. Like it really is. They're like, we need to get elected, and the whole point of getting elected is to wield power. So like you're like, you know, our goal is to get health care for people because we don't want poor people and old people to die. That's my goal. Let's let's just say theoretically that was my goal, right? Yep. As a Democrat, you get elected and you say, oh, we won, we won. In concept, I think, wow, now I'm going to punch this shit through. Medicare for all. Poor people won't die. Like, whoa, whoa, you can't do that. You got to meet the Republicans in the middle. You got to comp. What about them? What about their thoughts? What about the private industries? You know what? Meet them in the middle. How about people only over 63 don't get to die? Everybody else under that, if they're not ready, sorry, they die. Yeah, that seems fair. Right now, it's 65. We'll shave two years. I think Biden wanted to drop it to 60. That was the compromise to Medicare for all. Ironically, Hillary Clinton four years ago wanted to drop it to 55. So their compromise is half of what Hillary offered four years ago on Medicare. This is how the Democrats operate. It's literally like, let's get elected and then let's not do what we claim our identity is, mm-hmm. which is to help people. Let's compromise. It's literally like we, you've exposed that you have no soul. You're just like operating from a place of fake posture. Right. It's not the higher ground. Now you're just virtue actually, signaling about like whatever. You're just, now you're just being you're ineffective. It, if you're not actually going to do it, you're not actually wielding power. Right. You're not actually winning. No. Why, why elect Joe Biden if he's not going to change anything that we're doing right now? He's going to be like Trump, but with like a, a nicer neoliberal face on it. You elect Joe Biden so that his vice... You elect, bad policies economically. You elect, you elect Joe Biden so that his vice president becomes president. <laughs> yeah. We, I, 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I don't know I don't know any other way to I don't know any other way to spin that. You know, I know that they took women, Matt. Not not that I'm saying women are bad. I think a woman should be president, but who would be the worst one? Would it be like Kamala Harris? Would it be probably she's aggressive, man? Would it be Hillary Clinton? That'd be the worst. (laughs) That'd be the worst. I heard you know it's funny. You know he had that he had that thing last night with her that whatever that was that they they had like a fireside chat or something together. And I heard that like people were people were saying that they thought it was going to be her. Like they were going to announce that she was going to be run as uh, his vice president. Did he really asleep? Did he really? That's really a thing. While she was talking. Wow. 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 He needs whatever Trump's on. He needs some of that Adderall. He needs to start chopping it up. You got to understand, Democrats didn't, I mean, we'll, we'll tie it back to personal freedom in a sec, but just to finish up this thought, like the Democrats didn't even want to win. Their goal ultimately from their corporate funders was to just stop burning and stop this anti-big business message ultimately. Once they've done that, they're like, you know what? The lobbyists get to keep their jobs. We'll keep funding your campaigns. Everything keeps the same. And you know what? If we lose, we lose. No big deal. Four years, Trump doesn't get to run again. We get to run somebody who's primed to win. It's Beto or it's Pete or it's whoever, whatever loser they think is going to win in four years that won't again. And that's literally their concept because it wasn't about winning. It was about stopping Bernie. Right. Now that Bernie's been stopped, what else is there to do? Like Biden is the weakest candidate oh. I've seen in my present lifetime. I got to be honest. It's so in- it's so interesting to me, and 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 I have to agree, and, and I'm gonna. I'm going to invoke his name, but like with Joe Rogan, when he was, you know, he was quoted and people got, you know, really upset with him when he said that he would vote for Trump over Biden. And it was kind of taken out of context that he was like, yeah, I'd vote for a monkey over Joe Biden. Like, you know, like anybody, I mean, he's clearly struggling, right? I mean, the guy has trouble. He fell asleep in a live interview on national television. Um, it's 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 a shame they their entire process of electing uh a, a, a candidate uh was just a joke the entire field was weak um and they don't they have no fight they don't they don't ha- they're not they had, they, there's no they, gameness they right do. they don't bring it like you know there's no you're not gonna, they're not going to go over there and they're not going to just steamroll over somebody with their ideas and be like listen i got i got it i got elected for a reason and this is what I'm here to do and I'm going to do it. And who does that sound like? I mean, you know, uh, yeah. And, and they, and they, and they just lose. They're just the bunch of losers. Really? I mean, honestly, I, I don't know. Saying, what at the, way at their it. core, they don't understand. I mean, not the core. They don't understand it. But like at their core, there's no expectation. Like they're just supposed to say, they're like Obama. People love Obama and he's got this great glow because he's a great orator. He's got very charismatic. He's got a cool vibe. Seems like, hey, it's like an intelligent guy who could like have a conversation about pretty much anything and he's kind of got it, right? Like those things resonate so much with people that you're able to overlook all these horrible decisions they made. And I mean, Obama's a war criminal. Obama put kids in cages. Obama drone struck hundreds of people without constitutional or congressional approval. Absolutely. Obama, you know, approved tacit CIA coops in certain countries. They you deported, on on they deported millions and of people. And yet his glow is so bright because the expectation was never about him to not be a terrible person. It was about putting a nice coat of paint on it. Mm-hmm. Multicultural. His name's Barack Obama. 
He's got a great smile. Insane, got a beautiful Obama family. He's well spoken. He's intelligent. That's what the Democrats want. They want this well spoken, glossy, you know, beautiful car almost. They don't care that it runs on, you know, the blood of the innocents inside the engine. Like that's it means nothing to them. It's all about that coat of paint on the outside. So politics for the Democrats has been about finding well, it's what's the, the right coat of paint. You know, they're like, we don't need a different. It's car. the it's we the need a different coat of paint. They want to. They want to. Like, no, we need a different car. We need something that runs differently. Yeah. Like a Bernie Sanders. They go, no, we we, we don't ever change cars. They present ever. the image, the image of being the more virtuous party. Right. That's the whole idea. But can they, and Republicans are like, we don't care. We are who we are. We're going to come here and we're going to do what we're going to do. And we're not going to be uh, we're unapologetic, and uh, we're here to do uh, to do to do politicking, and uh, we're going to game the system, and we're going to you know make our own rules, and we're going to vote on those rules, and we're going to. I mean, that's right. I mean, that's how we're going to use a nuclear option. And Merrick Garland, you're not going to get your seat. Sorry, we're not doing it. Uh, I don't you care. You should actually, if you believe in like true socialistic, humanistic values of what you know taking care of people or profit and things like that. Move your ass to Denmark. No, just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> Definitely should do that if you can. But, uh, and I wouldn't get that opportunity, but you should honestly see the Democrats more as your enemy than the Republicans. The Republicans at least won't give you any nuanced bullshit and pretend to be your friend. Exactly. I'm on the opposite side of the volleyball court and I'll be trying to spike the ball in your right, face. Right, the, the, right, right. The, the Democrats. Yeah. Pretend to be like, no, we're on the same side of the volleyball court. Yeah. Here, let me serve. And you yeah. stand at the net and uh-huh. then they serve it into the back of your head. Right. Over right. and over again. It's like yeah. Charlie Brown trying to kick the football. Exactly. Yeah. Don't fucking believe them. Right. Don't believe them. Until they do anything but isn't, different, isn't don't that, believe them. Isn't that Kanye's message? That's Kanye's message, right? That's Kanye's message to people. That's why he's a Trump supporter because he's like, these people are lying to you just to get your vote and we're not going to do anything for you. That's basically you know i mean i think he's crazy but i'm just saying and i don't think he's a very good designer just putting it out there i don't understand what his clothes what is this fucking star wars he looks like he's like from tatooine or some shit anyway go what, ahead what is fashion what, what is fashion man i think kanye it's how much people are willing to pay for your crap kanye's like pure celebrity i think like for him it wasn't even necessarily like he liked or maybe agreed with trump politically but he vibed with his energy. And I think he knew like subconsciously, like this is the thing that stokes controversy. This is the thing that like puts me into that ether of the public thought public and, and the ethos. It's going to be talked about by us, by everyone. I mean, it's a very Kanye thing to do, isn't it? So like, it, yeah, I, I, try, I try not to pay attention to dullards like that. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> make, 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 make your money. You don't make good music anymore. I'll listen to the hits when they come on. But like, it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah, no, 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 absolutely. I was just saying, like you were what you what you were saying is absolutely correct, and I think they're trying to trying to get that through to people. Um, the problem is, dude, is there's not a good option. You don't have a good option. I guess there's that Justin Amash guy. He's gonna uh, maybe possibly run as a libertarian um, or something like that, um, which is fine. But you know, I don't know if he would take. I don't know who he would take votes from. Libertari- libertarians are so bad, man. It's like they don't even understand their own philosophy. No, that's exactly it. But at least it gives me somebody a name to put down because that's uh, normally who I've been voting for. And recently. I mean, like, listen, when I first like registered to vote, I signed up as a libertarian because I thought they were the party that thought weed was cool. Like, so, like, <laughs> listen, <laughs> not saying I I knew the most at that time, but I just knew they were like the pro legalization. Like, right. oh, Sounds like You're like, Gary Johnson's a governor of New Mexico. He's a libertarian. Hey, that, that, that guy smokes weed. Like, 
I was like, freedom, pro-weed. I like it. Do whatever you want. Now, now freedom's like that more nuanced concept because it's like talked about. It's the ability to say or do anything without reprimand. You can say anything or think anything in certain contexts, but like, can you yell fire in a crowded theater? No, you can't. I but think you, that you, you can, yell, you, you have the freedom to say whatever you want, but there's also the freedom to have the, whatever consequence fits it's that, that's that real statement. Freedom. That's real freedom though. That by definition is without reprimand. But you can't do that because somebody else has the freedom to reprimand you. So that's true freedom. Right. But, that, but the, but the truth true, is, at its purest form, would be, be like if you said something that was the, uh, truth. Hey, listen, freedom at its at its core is you say something out of line in a crowded place, and everybody beats the shit out of you. And then somebody else comes and beats the shit out of them for beating the shit out of you. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> like because and they have the right to do so. Like, but at what point do they? Oh, right, right. That's just like the, that's just the logical response, though. It's like what's the right? Exactly. What is right? What 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 is your right? What what rights do you have when it comes to reprimanding somebody else? I guess freedom's your ability to do something in the moment without reprimand, right? Because it's like in that moment I could beat your ass for saying something and no one's gonna stop me until later they're gonna stop me and beat my ass. Right? The police or whoever. I guess, but like I said, but then because somebody else has the freedom to uh, prescribe to uh, whatever uh, legal doctrine uh, there is to curtail that action. See, people have come together to agree on these, um, you know, common, uh, this, this, this is a common structure and these common rules and regulations that they apply to society and what they feel is a civil society versus an uncivil society and how to keep it that way. And so there are these laws that, that do that. And everybody, every day, every day conforms to those laws in one way or the other in order to keep everybody else safe and this whole freaking thing functioning. Mm-hmm. So why are you allowed now during this where, 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 where that becomes the utmost um, it, 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 it's, 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 it's most critical to do so, to think that way. And now all of a sudden you want your freedom to go and, and, and get a haircut and to possibly infect somebody else and to get them sick. It's interesting, right? We all, we all agree that this is the way that we're going to conduct ourselves to the most part. I mean, there's other people that, you know, break laws and you break small laws all the time. And, but we try to live within these boundaries, right? And it's all for the more, and it's all for the greater good because the greater because we need everybody else and we need us as functioning society in order for us to continue to live the lives that we live today, or to or 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 to continue to aspire um, to reach the goals that we want to live if we're not living the way that we want to live today. So, why all of a sudden is it a problem to try to do something for the benefit of everyone when we do this? on a daily basis and we've been doing it for our entire lives. I think it's something like we talked about last week and, you know, kind of tie it back in, which is just that like without that communal living, you don't have that sense of trust in the government. And then you can't have that type of empathetic response to the situation. It's an invisible killer. We're so used to like, you're fighting Al Qaeda. You're fighting, you know, you know, Oh yeah. Viet Cong. Viet Cong, you're fighting the Nazis. There's this clear, tangible enemy. They're these people. They look like this. They're in this location. Here's what we need to do. We need to murder yeah. them in some way. Very clear goal. Very clear enemy. Very clear. De- things are defined. This is undefinable, and it's ununderstandable. It's very fluid. It's very, you know, 
super fluid. It's like, I can and we always try to, and we always try to define things. And one of the things that I've noticed about, um, there's a certain section of the population here in America that tries to provide the sim- the simplest answers to like the com- the most complex problems, be it like immigration, build a wall, right. Um, or, uh, just stop people from this, this country or that, or, or whatever. Um, but now it's like blame China, right? Oh, it's China's well, fault. We're going to, we're going to sue China. It, we, it makes sense. Psychologically. It's a shared enemy. Like the Nazis. Now it's the Chinese. Exactly. It's a shared enemy. They look like that. They look like Chinamen. They're defined. We know where they are. They're in Asia. It's yeah. like straight up literally like that. I, it reminds me of uh, Watchmen, you know, the great graphic novel. Yep. The movie was average, but ultimately, spoilers, the way they prevent nuclear annihilation is they trick the world into think there's an alien attack. And it unites the world from killing itself from this nuclear annihilation by being like, no, show shit, aliens. We got to worry about something bigger than each other. We're uh-huh. humans. And humanity unites to fight the aliens, which is just a ruse. It's a scam. It's a fraud. I want the world's smartest men. And it's a, a very interesting concept that if you can find a definable e- enemy, it's not a philosophical one like a virus, you can get people to unite and act community. World War II, yeah. we literally were like, GM, you're making tanks. Right. Housewives, we need you in the factories. Yeah. Whether it's typing letters or this or that. GIs, guess what, boys? We're all going overseas and a lot of you aren't coming back. And yep. that's how it was. That's like we and we were all like, you know what? We might bullshit some of it, but like they're right. We gotta get this shit done. We're doing it. And it happened. And mm-hmm. people took action. Now what are we willing to do? We'll clap. We'll clap for the hospital workers. Yeah. Hey, I'll clap when you're walking home. Hospital workers are like, Don't call me a hero. Like, get me PPE. Get these people health insurance, so they aren't in this position. If people weren't, it in reminds me of the now, it reminds me of the early days of the Iraq War when, like, we were like traveling around over there in freaking soft skin Humvees, literally with like vinyl sides of doors and things like this. And people are like, "Oh, you're a hero," and I'm like, "Yeah, man. How about some how about some armor? That'd be cool. Yeah, let's I, do that. Just, I, I mean, we could go into that, man. It's horribly disgusting. <laughs> but it's the same. Comments. It's the same lack of preparation and forethought, right? That was put into so place with to, this. Yeah. You know, I mean, you can go, you can go to the pandemic response team being dispensed by the Trump administration. I mean, Obama did do some things right, uh, but like ultimately, most of the people who are dying, bad health, obese, diabetic, all these health problems. If we had universal health care and we had a more structured system where people were actually well, they'd be healthier going yeah, in to be healthy. We had better food. It wasn't as much fast food. We had people better educated about their health. We had more systems in place, or it wasn't like privatized. All you do is pick your own, you know, CrossFit or yoga. There's actually, I mean, I remember people hated PE. I love PE to play sports. There's a lot of kids who just hated it. They weren't good at sports because, you know, they hated the fact that they weren't good at a sport, so they didn't understand the value of exercise. I always think that's of that problem. whenever somebody I talks about. problem when, I, when I'm a kid in school that, like, they made being in shape competitive, and that made kids who weren't as athletic feel bad about not being good at it and it almost drives them to be in bad shape and be in bad health because they're like i don't want to compete in something i'm gonna lose at why even try well when people it's not about winning it's about doing it, people right? people gravitate towards things that they're good at right so if they feel like they're good at it it's at any level whatever that level is to trigger 
the mental state needed for them to keep doing it because it's a good response, then that's what needs to happen. But yeah, you're absolutely right. I I think the problem is though, is that something that doesn't need to be competitive, but but we compete, but we can make everything competitive. I mean, it's, it's, it doesn't need to be right. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Every what competition is the opposite of collaborative. And I mean, competition's great. It's just a question of like, when do you want to institute it? Because when it's done over the face or like in spite of collaboration, it tends to like kick collaboration to the wayside. But I think that the you know philosophy I mean? is, is that it'll also, like, no. it'll also chisel those, you know, and, and make a, and, and let the, let the cream rise to the top at the same time. Right. Because those folks will, you know, are, 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 at least in theory, more motivated in some way, shape or form, but really they're only more motivated in that, in that structure. Um, in, in that I mean, in it, that competitive environment, right? Um, maybe somebody else uh, would would thrive uh, if they were in a more collaborative environment because they just work better that way. But we live in a capitalist society, right? Um, you know, winner take all. You know, do what you have to do. Very competitive, right? Um, cutthroat type of situation. And so we just apply that model to like everything that we that we do in life, right? I mean, even when. You know, I mean, even, you know, for, for mates and other things, right. We're not, we're not far away from being animals. So we're, we're very competitive and in that way also, I mean, maybe we're not, you know, uh, you know, in the rut and fighting each other for, you know, for till the death or whatever. Um, but some people are, (laughs) yeah. So I don't know, but you know, it's a good question about freedom and like, what, what, what are you willing to give up? And and at what point, and are you giving it up Is a temporary pause on your freedom an actual assault on those liberties? Right. I mean, very, it's very temporary. People are saying, Hey man, I'm not telling you that you can't do this again, or you can't do something forever. All we're trying to do right now is to, is to stop the spread of this, you know, uh, incredibly infectious disease. You could go outside. It's not like there's militia men who are going to shoot you in the street. So it's like, is the government taking your freedom as much as they're asking you to sacrifice it? And then it's up to you to make that decision whether or not you want to make that sacrifice. And a lot of people are like, fuck you. I'm going to go protest. But I think that they're saying that it's not their decision when it comes to their businesses. And and that's what I was saying. I mean, I'm not, I'm not in a situation where I'm, I'm worried about putting food on the table or where my, my next rent check is going to come from. And I want to empathize with those people. And I understand, you know, that it, I mean, it's a dire situation and a circumstance. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't feel the way that you should feel because you you should feel however however you 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 need to it's just i you know i hope that you get the assistance um that you need uh from those who are supposed to help you in, in these times um and and you're and you're able to open your business again and, and and get things you know back rolling to in whatever condition you know our economy is in after we come out of this and whatever you know i hope you have as many um customers as you possibly can that support it as well you know, as quickly yeah, as possible. We can only hope for the best. We all live here, man. We all, we all go to these businesses. We all, we all rely on them to, to live our normal quote unquote lives. Right. I mean, it's going to be interesting coming back. If we don't learn anything, then we're doomed to repeat it. And I think it should call into question, you know, how we are structured and operate as a consumer society and what position that puts us in, in space of natural disasters, wars, pandemics, because if we don't change anything, then we're doomed to repeat it. So like, it's inevitable a pandemic's gonna happen again. There's gonna be another outbreak. There might not be another one this bad for 50 to 100 years again, but there's gonna be another SARS, there's gonna be another Ebola, there's gonna be another swine flu, 
are we going to be prepared then? Is anything going to be different then? Or is it going to be like the same unprepared reaction where we don't have the tests and people aren't sure what to do? You know, so I hope Finney comes out of this. We are able to actually look at history and learn from it because, yeah. I hope we just hold The most frustrating thing in, in the time of modern technology is knowing so much about the world and understanding that because of like our minute part we play in it, we have no ability to prevent it from happening and we can see it happening like in slow motion real time it's kind of horrifying yeah horrifying absolutely well i think that's a good place to wrap it up we will leave the questions unanswered and we will uh you know if you uh if you have an answer if you want to join in the conversation comments below for sure and uh as always, Devin, peace and love. It's good to see you, my friend. I can't wait till uh, we have a chance to get together again in person uh, when all of this is over. And uh, have a, a good day, my friend, a good Sunday. And uh, I will talk to all of you listeners later. Bye-bye. Yeah, you, t- you take care, brother. Great seeing you, too. Later, Dev. Peace, y'all.